I didn't catch if there was any guests today, but there might be some guests online. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Jason, and it's uh, uh, a privilege and an honor to be here uh, standing before you today just to share the Word of God. And, and um, let me just start off by saying that um, if I talk too fast, I apologize. I just, I just want to make sure that I, I deliver what I believe God has told me to deliver to you, and I, but I want to make sure you catch it all. But let me tell you where this came from about a little over a week ago, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before that I was teaching. And um, sometimes you have to understand when I teach, I throw in stuff that I've been thinking about for a while or that I've been eat, you know, mulling over and digesting for a while. And I said something. Didn't really go into it very far. Said it, threw it out there. And I said this. I said, we really have to bring biblical masculinity back to the church. And didn't really go into that deep, didn't explain it, just said it, and then went on from there. And I thought, you know what, today's the day that I, I sit down and we're going to talk about it. And it's a hard topic to talk about, and all the women in the audience are like, it's not very hard. Men, the topic of men, and you know, man isn't hard. You feed them, you burp them, and you hug them occasionally, and they're good to go. And, and, but no, no, that's not really the way it is. And it's a tough topic because... Really, you have to, you know, stick your finger up in the air and find out where the winds of culture are going because a lot of times that's what we do to define what masculinity is. Like if you look in the 80s, you know, the, the epitome of masculinity was someone with long feathered hair, makeup, and wore skin-tight spandex. That's the glam rock, if you know what that is. And that was masculinity. And I mean, hey, thank God times change. Anyway, uh, let me just say that. But it really... It's confusing because, ladies, I'm, gonna, I'm talking to guys today, but please don't turn me, tune me out because, really, the things that I say are going to apply to you. They're going to be worked out differently. That's just it. The roles in which you function might be different in terms of what I'm describing, but still, this all applies to you. And, and so the reason why I'm saying it's such a tough topic is because, ladies, you have to understand, here's the messages we are hearing. If, if you're a guy, then you would have heard this. This is what you think true masculinity is, especially, you know, the culture, and you listen to what, what you hear, the, what you think the women are saying, and you think that a real man is, you know, a, a leather-clad, hardly-riding bad boy who enjoys cooking gourmet meals uh, while taking, you know, for two, while taking a walk on the beach. You know, he can beat down Chuck Norris in a fight, but is a pacifist at art. He loves children, owns a cat, likes to cuddle, kills spiders, enjoys opera, and can fix a car, cries at the end of Titanic, <laughs> loves talking for hours with you but enjoys listening to you more. And, and that's, that's, what we, that's what we receive. You know, if, we, if you watch WN, the Women's Network, that's what we are hearing. Oh, that's what you want. But then you have the other opposite end of the scale, uh, you know, spectrum, and this is what the guys are hearing, is that, you know, that a real man is someone whom the women want to be with and the men want to be. He likes gun girls fighting fishing and pumping iron. This predominantly eats red meat, but only after he's killed it, gutted it, and, you know, took care of it himself. And, and that's, that's it, you know, and that's what we think. And, it, you know, he's a strong, silent type who never has to apologize because he's always right, drives fast cars, doesn't read books, and only likes movies with explosions, has no idea who Pavarotti is, who happens to be an opera singer, if you don't know, and only sheds a tear when his team wins the Stanley Cup, and that's a single tear, and that's it just to acknowledge that they've won. And so these are all the things that we, that we hear. Just ladies, this is what men, the messages that men are receiving. And that's describing masculinity. And then, and then you also have the issue of gender confusion because really I've always thought there was just two. 
lo and behold, I, I find out there's now six. Like, I, I always stopped that male, female, and I, that was about the end of my list. You know, I, I, maybe hermaphrodite, but that's not a gender as much as an anomaly. But that's all I had. But if you realize, according to the public school system, there's six. And they're teaching it. Well, I don't know if they're teaching it yet to our kids. It was proposed. They might actually be teaching it. I don't know. But it's to grade threes, and there's six. Do you want to know what the six are? Well, let me tell you what they are. Because it blew my mind. I was reading this, and I was just like, I am so out to lunch. It goes a little something. Let me see. I have it written down here, but I think I missed it. No, here it is. There's male and female, which we all got cased. Transgendered, transsexual, two-spirited, and intersexed. Don't ask me what any of those are, because I really don't know. But apparently those are the six that they're teaching our children or are going to teach our children. I don't know where it's at. And so in the midst of all the, the confusing messages that we receive as men, like this is, the, this is the epitome of manhood. And then on the other side, no, 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 this is the epitome of manhood. And then it's like, well, you know, let's talk about our roles and genders, and now that's all confused. And, and so we try to define what masculinity is, and here's, here's the problem is when I start talking to you right away, everyone in their mind had their own preferred description of what this is what a real man is some of you when i said you know the harley you know harley riding leather clad bad boy who likes to cook gourmet food and take long walks on the beach you're like yeah and then there's other ones over here is like oh he's got to be a hunter he's got to like guns and he's got to oh he's got to catch the meat kill it clean it do it all and like car you know he's got to be the man's man and, and everyone had a predetermined idea what i was talking about but when i said to you we have to get back to biblical masculinity by its very definition, it tells me who's going to, where am I going to find the definition of what the role of a man is? The Bible. It's biblical. So it's not what culture says, because as I told you in the 80s, the height of masculinity was long feathered hair, spandex and makeup, lots of eyeshadow. And if you don't remember, then you're either too young or you just didn't care about music at the time. And so let's just talk about that. And so let me just kind of we're only going to go to a very few scriptures today. I'm just talking from my heart. And I'm going to share a few things with you. And, um, and as we know, or hopefully you know, if you read Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, when God took care of creation, he created it all, and then he made man and woman. And in Genesis 1.27, it says that he made man and woman, he created them, and he created them in his own image. The reason why I'm bringing that up really quickly is because I want to settle something and settle something now, and that is that really we are all equal. Equal in worth, but distinct in creation. We're distinct in purpose, distinct in role. The confusion that I, I said, you know, hey, the public school, this is what they're trying to teach. The confusion that's breeding derives from everyone being equal. It's not just only equal in worth. It's equal in role. And that does such a disservice to women or men, but let's just say women, to say that you are equal in not only in worth, which you are, but equal everywhere else. There's just some things that you were created differently than we are. And that's not wrong. And we shouldn't try to change it. We can't say, well, God was wrong in doing that. Let's correct his mistake. No, that's just right. And if you, you don't have to go to books or you know, have a sociology degree to understand that the reality of it. Just look at kids. I have, two, you know, I have three kids, but I have twins. And when they came out, they're very much different. You know, boys like to take things and smash them together. Girls like to take things and make them friends. You know, my son, you know when he's playing, because I'll be walking by his room and I'll hear, and those are the sound effects I hear. 
But if I go see my daughter, she has all of her dolls laid out, and she's talking nicely, giving them tea, or she's pretending to feed them and be, you know, she's having, she's, she's having a relationship with her toys, where Macaulay's like, you're going to explode, ah! and, and he's throwing things off of his, uh, you know, he's got little cars, and I hear, oh, no, which makes me wonder, do I really want to lend him my keys when he gets older? But he does that all the time. And so there's a distinction, and I'm making sure we all understand that, that you know, when God created us, e- equality of worth does not mean equality of identity and role. That's all I'm saying. Equality of worth does not mean equality of identity and equality of role. We're different, but we're equal. And to put this to, put this to bed, just read, read uh, Galatians 3.28, and that should put it right to bed forever. I'll read it to you. You can write it down. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave, nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. We're equal. I'm making sure we all understand that, because some people will misunderstand what I'm saying, maybe not you here or online, but in the world, they'll think, they'll think well, gosh, you Christians just you know, think men, and, men are better than women. No, we don't. We think they're different. We just think they're different, and they have distinct roles, and... and us men would be in a sorry, sorry state if you weren't around. We wouldn't smell right. We wouldn't look right. We wouldn't behave right. In many cases in, in a relationship, you women are our conscience. I'm being very honest. You keep us out of trouble. You really do. And so thank God. God knew what he was doing when he made you. But, but here's, let me go back to creation. And so God, he created, he created this beautiful world that we live in. And the Bible says that he created all the plants and animals. And he created this one spot where he put man. And that was, of course, the Garden of Eden. And he, the, what did he put us there to do? He put man to take care of the land, to till the land, to take care of the land, to, to, to work it, to keep it. And... And he says, have lots of children because this is going to be a big job and you're going to be doing it forever. And, and this is what he did. And so right from the beginning, we find out that men, when God placed man here, he put something in us that made us growers, builders, and cultivators. That's what drives a man. We are builders, we are growers, and we are cultivators. And we're designed to build, grow, and cultivate things. Yeah, that's why the mantra of every man is, you know, is bigger, better, taller. You know, faster. We want all of those things because we want to take something and then grow it, cultivate it, make it bigger, make it better. And, and, and that's just the way men are driven and designed. And, and, you know, that's why a man will, you know, start running, decide, hey, I'm going to take up jogging. And he's able to go around three blocks without stopping and, and then the next day he goes out and buys $300 pair of shoes and a $500, you know, heart monitor. Because he wants to be the best. That's why you have, you know, guys in their 30s who actually keep track of how much weight they can bench press. Because they want to get better. They want to cultivate something, grow it, make it bigger. And that's why men who are bored are dangerous. Because men who are bored or have nothing to do are dangerous or they die. It's kind of interesting when a man retires, if he has nothing else but his job that he cultivated and grew or invested himself in, what happens to him? They usually die and die quickly. It's because they've, he's, he's cultivated nothing else but his job. You know, he grew that company and that was what he invested in and grew. Maybe not his family, and, 
maybe not his church and maybe not his relationships, but he did that. And so when he has nothing else, he has nothing else. And it's also why you see lazy, slothful, undisciplined men have an inner turmoil because every man has this drive in him. They do. You know, because there's this inner turmoil. When a man's lazy and slothful, you know, even inside him, he wants to be great. Because they have this wonderful fantasy life. They do, we do. Women, we do. And men, you have to understand, we do. I've been asked more times than I'd cared to recount in the last three months by, by ladies, not of this church, but still ladies, asking me why their husbands want to spend more time playing video games than be with them. You know, they, and, the, and the truth is, you know, or get lost in fantasy football. You know, because they have this wonderful fantasy life, you know, where I am the champion at World of Warcraft. I am the guild leader. If you don't know what that means, then that means you're, you either don't play the video games or you're too old. Uh, or fantasy football. You know, it's like my team. So yeah, when they draft you, we'll never. Well, yeah, it's not your team. You've never played on a team. And, and they have these wonderful fantasy lives because they want to grow something, build something, and be part of something big and great. But God created us to be cultivators. And the thing is, no matter what, if you're not submitted to, even if you're not submitted to Christ, you're going to be a cultivator of something. But it won't be good. But if you are submitted to Christ, men, and you are a cultivator, a builder, and a grower, then let's talk about today what that looks like from a biblical context. Because masculinity is this. God created you And he put this desire and drive in you to cultivate, to build, to grow. And so in the context of the the spheres that you run in, I'm only going to cover a few. But I'm going to take you today and we're going to look at what that looks like biblically. That what does biblical masculinity look like? It's not the Harley Davidson leather clad guy who can cook great gourmet meals. And it's not the guy who has a beard, lives in the bush and as a fast car. You know, it's not those things. This is what it is. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Thank you, God, for your word. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Two verses. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So gentlemen, talking about biblical masculinity, one of the things that I can tell you that God's called us to do, because it's played out in his word, is that if we're cultivators and builders and growers, the one thing that we need to cultivate, probably more than anything else, is our, our home. So how do we cultivate our home? Well, let's start with the scripture. The very first thing is be watchful. Be watchful. You know, this is a a great picture. You know, the the image I get is this. is you know, someone who's on guard. You know, you have the the parapets and you have this big walled city and someone's standing up there watching. The watchman's watching to make sure, you know, who's going to come and approach the city. Are they friend or are they foe? And let me just be honest, every man in this room knows where they're weak. Every man in this room knows where they're weak. I I could even probably say every woman knows their weakness too, but every man in this room, because I'm talking to men, knows his weakness. Knows those things that trip him up, cause him to stumble, cause him to fall, 
can probably even see it coming a mile away because, because they've been down that road many times where they know these are the precursors to me falling. And the Bible says that as men, what do we have to do? We have to be watchful. We have to be on guard. We have to watch over ourselves. Guard ourselves from our known weaknesses. You know, if there's sites that you're looking on on the web, you know, on the web that you shouldn't be, then guard yourself. Protect yourself. You know, more men get in trouble. Remember I said, you know, men have this wonderful fantasy life? Let me just tell you, I was talking with someone recently. I've seen more men fall from extramarital affairs than I care to count. You know, in in the game of masculinity, there are casualties. Lots of casualties. And, and, And what's happened is men haven't guarded themselves and they've allowed, you know, in the conversation I had, someone was asking me this question or I don't know if it was asking this question. They, I answered it anyway. Sometimes I answer questions you don't ask because I think you need to know. And it was, how could this person leave their wife for someone else? But not only someone else, someone who is ugly. And that was the question. And, and, and I said, well, you got to understand, beauty doesn't enter into it. Because he's bought into a fantasy. You could be married to a supermodel, but you have, this is your wife, three kids and a mortgage. That's reality. The fantasy, no matter how ugly it looks, is appealing. And they fall for the fantasy. Because they haven't guarded themselves. You know, maybe, maybe your poison's anger. And there's just certain things that set you off. Or maybe, you know, you, hey, you know, when I don't get my eight hours sleep, I just know that I, I'm miserable to live with. And my family, my coworkers, everyone suffers. Then be on watch for that. Guard yourself. Know that that's your weakness. Deal with it. Maybe it's certain shows you are, uh, that you watch. Who knows? It's people that you hang out with. Guard yourself. The Bible says here, it says be watchful, be on guard. But not only guard yourself, you have to do the same thing for your family. You know, um, Proverbs is a wonderful book of the Bible everyone should read. But let me just tell you this. Men, you should read it because it was by a man, written for a man. And the narrative throughout the good first half of it is father talking to son. Right? If, if you haven't read it, that's what it is. It's the father talking to son. And it's the father giving him advice and teaching him how not to be a fool. How not to be foolish, but to be wise. And what you have to understand is that the Proverbs paints this picture in the area of wisdom. There's just two ga- categories, two, period, that you can fall into as a man or a woman, but I'm talking to man as a man. And that's either the fool or wise. You either identify with the fool or you identify with the w- wise. That's it. There's no in-between. You know, some people say this, you know, hey, I'm either a lover or a fighter. Well, there's a third category. There's a slapper and a runner. So there's a lover, a fighter, a slapper, and the runner is the middle of the road. There is no middle of the road. There's just wise or foolish And those who say that wisdom is the fruit of experience really haven't read Proverbs because there's a wisdom that will protect you from experience, the experience of being a fool or emulating the example of a fool. And I challenge you to not, you know, not while I'm talking to you today, please don't, but I challenge you to read Proverbs. Go home and read Proverbs with that eye of the distinction between a fool and the wise because Proverbs describes a fool as someone who doesn't acknowledge the relationship between character, conduct, and consequences. A fool does not acknowledge that there is a relationship between my character, my conduct, and the consequences. 
you know what, uh, this is what, a, okay, filter's going to catch it, but I'm going to say it anyway. When it comes to fools, you know, the Bible says there's two, two distinct categories. Either, you know, you, you either are a fool or you're wise. I find this. Women will look at a fool and they, you want to know what they see? Potential. Oh, dear God, ladies, smarten up. Seriously, as a loving brother in Christ to you, if you look at someone, oh, he's, got, he's a fixer-upper, he's got potential, then that right there, you've lost the battle. You've lost it right there. I'm just making sure you understand that there's those two distinctions. But in Proverbs, the whole purpose of me even talking about Proverbs, it says this, it says, the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's Proverbs 13, 20. Write that down, Proverbs 13, 20. Even tattoo it on your kid's forehead backwards so when they look in the mirror they read, the companion of fools will suffer harm. Great verse. And as men, as in our homes, as we guard ourselves, we need to guard our family too because you have to understand that companion of fools isn't just talking about the people we hang with, which it is. You need to be you need to guard who you allow it to influence you and to influence your kids and to influence your spouse, and you need to guard those things, but in a broader sense, you have to understand that television is a companion. The internet's a companion. Your iPod's a companion. The magazines you read are a companion. These are all means for transmitting foolishness or wisdom. You know, the Bible says this. You know, I always talk about, Christians are really bad for this. Something good comes along, and we oppose it because we're stupid. Sometimes we are. When TV came in, oh, it's so evil. And now we're, we fought like tooth and nail to get back on it. Then the internet comes up. Oh, you want to stay away from the internet? And, well, it's a great and wonderful tool. And the Bible says this, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So what is it? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? And I always ask the teens this, and they say, well, depends on how you use it. Exactly. The internet can be this wonderful, beautiful tool And it can be a pit of ugliness and evil and foolishness. So can the TV set. So can what we read and what we place on our iPod. All those things. And so when it says, a companion of fools will suffer harm, gentlemen, biblical masculinity says you need to be on guard for what you allow into your home, whether you bring it in or your wife or your kids, you bring it in and it's a companion of fools. It's going to lead you to harm. Be watchful. The other thing that we need to be watchful of is, is the messages that we send. You know, what we export from our home. Gentlemen, I'm going to say something, not in my notes, and that's could potentially get me in lots of trouble, make you angry with me, but you're worth it. You know, it's not worth it, you're worth it. And, and the reason why this is going to get me in trouble is because the culture we live in today, what right do I have as a man to speak to this issue? Well, I'm not going to get into the rights of it, I'm just going to get into the discretion of it that gentlemen, that you need to understand what's leaving your home in terms of what your daughters, you need to talk to your daughters and your wives about what they wear. And the women are probably like, right now the women got really quiet. 
let, let me, let me, it's not an issue of right or wrong. Because here's, what, here's the battle you're going to have to go through your mind. He's looking at me in an improper way. And that's sin. And that's right. That is his sin. That's our sin. That is absolutely our fault. Men, you can put the blinders on. You can look another way. You don't have to take a second glance. You don't, ladies, you are 100% right. That is completely and falls in our lap. But I'd love to someday bring up men just to share, if I could find a man out there that had the guts to really share the struggle, you will never understand, ladies. The struggle of when a lady who dresses and enhances certain aspects, you know, that a superficial man would enjoy, let's just put it that way, um, what it does to us and the battle and struggle that, I, okay, I have to either look at the floor or I have to look in the eyes or I have to look anywhere else but there and, and and we, we don't address that. We don't share that with you. But the, the thing is, I would just love that you'd walk away from here today not being mad. But when you go home, say, you know what? Next time I buy something, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, God, I, I'm going I'm to take my fellow brother into consideration. What is this going to do to him? Boy, this makes me look ba-bang, ba-boom. But is that a little bit too much bang for my boom? And is it, and is, you know, is... And, and just ask, and just ask that question. I'm just making sure you understand my heart. My heart is not to tell you what to wear. My heart is just simply to say this, that there are men, I am one of them, who struggles. And the world doesn't make it easy. The world makes it tough. We are, we are inundated with images over and over and over and over again. It's, I'm just saying, and that as men, we have to be Biblical masculinity says, you know what, we're going to share with our daughters our struggle as men. You know, the reason why I'm not letting you out of here today dressed like that isn't because I, I'm, I'm warring against your joy. The reason why I'm doing this is because, honey, there are those out there like me who are going to struggle not to watch you walk away, who are going to struggle not to look when you bend over, who are going to struggle in every way imaginable, and they might not have the willpower that daddy has to have. And they won't care. And they will look at you in ways and undress you in ways that, that are highly inappropriate. And men, it's our job to teach our sons about our struggles. Sons, don't do this. Don't look at that. This is taking you down a road. You don't want to be going to keep you there longer than you want to be. The Bible says, be watchful. First Corinthians 16, be watchful. Next thing it says is stand firm in the faith. So in cultivating our home, men, that means we need to stand firm in the faith. We need to be spiritual leaders. Now, just understand this. You'll hear me talk about men being leaders a lot. And, and that's not what we want. It's how God designed it. And when I talk about men being the spiritual leaders of your home, that does not mean you have the sole responsibility. That's, we do not have the sole responsibility. Women are spiritual leaders in their home. It just means this, is that when it comes to the, we have the leading responsibility. And you can't feed someone when you're a starving man yourself. If you're a starving man, you can't feed anyone. You haven't got anything to give them. And it's something that has to be planned. You don't stumble into intimacy. 
You don't stumble into intimacy with your wife, and you don't stumble into intimacy with your, you know, with God. You know, it's not like, yeah, I was out, out playing some street hockey, and I came in and bang, just stumbled into intimacy with my wife. No, no, it's, it's planned. It has some forethought to it. And it has to be with the intimacy we have as a family with God and what we do at home. You know, some of the things that I do, for example, our kids, I believe it's, uh, I can't remember if it's Psalms 23, I'm drawing a blank, or Psalms 100, I'm going through, we, I read it to my kids each night, and there's some nights I miss it because it's just the timing and what's going on, but I take it verse by verse, and we do one verse, and we read the verse, and what does that mean to you? And I explain it, we do it, and I try to explain it in terms they understand. Do whatever you can do. But you have to understand that, that we are the spiritual leaders of your home and that what we've been handed is a precious thing and sometimes we don't treat it as such. Do you know who William T- uh, uh, Tisdale is? Or Tinsdale is? William uh, Tyndale, he, he's the guy that, the, the reason why you have an English Bible is, is him. And here was a man who was literally put to death for trying to write the Bible in English so that people could understand it. He was put to the stake to be burnt but before they did, they, they choked him out to death. And the reason why they did wasn't because, well, let's be merciful. It's going to hurt too much being burnt. No, no. It was because too many guys who went to, the, went to the stake spent their time preaching while they burnt and they converted way too many people. So it was just, you can't preach when you've got a noose around your neck and, and it's tight. But he went, before they tightened it off, basically he said this, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and if God spare me, I will one day make the boy who drives the plow in England to know more of Scripture than the Pope himself. And he was burnt at the stake. And then in the same time, you've probably heard of Latimer and Ridley. Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. These are both men who were also put to the stake. And as for their beliefs, and the thing is, what they were, they weren't put to, these men weren't put to the stake for believing in Jesus, as you would think martyrs would be nowadays. They were put to the stake and burnt alive because they believed what we believe today. You know, it's the Bible alone. It's, it's by grace through faith. And for his glory alone, it's Jesus alone, not anything added to or taken away. And that's all they believed. And all they had to do was say, nope, I don't believe it anymore. You know, well, well, truthfully inside, still believing it. All they had to do was say out loud, nope, I don't believe it. But they chose to die. And as Ridley, and, he, and uh, as they were going up to the stake and they are being tied back to back and burnt, uh, Latimer says to Ridley, be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust never shall be put out. Play the man. They believe truth mattered to the point that, you know, you know, hey, I can believe whatever I want and say something different if it gets me out of being dead. But it mattered so much, it's like, no, 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 we are going to ratify what we believe so that others understand and ratify it in their own blood. Play the man today by standing by the doctrine so many have died for, the unwavering in your commitment to truth, even at the expense of your own popularity, career, reputation, success. That is biblical masculinity right there. In other words, if these men were willing to die for such truths, how much more should we be willing as men to stand for them today? In our home, in our community, in the church? If these men were willing to die for the truths that we now believe, at the bare minimum, if you've got a pair of cojones, you should be able to stand for them. Pardon me, that's my translation. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 still says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. What does it mean to act like a man? 
you know, everyone, like I said earlier, we all have our preference for what we think masculinity looks like. But in here it's talking more about the comparison between a child and a man. The Bible says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, act like a child, did childish things. Now the man, I've put those things away. And one of the most defining attributes of, of maturity is being able to take responsibility. It's responsibility. As men, masculinity is this. Biblical masculinity is this. And you've kind of heard me say this before. But it's really, it's laying down, laying down all those things that we consider to be rights and picking up responsibility. All those entitlements and picking up responsibility. That in the home, men, you might think you're king of the castle and it's your way or the highway, but the truth of the matter is that if you're cultivating your home, you lay down your life consistently and right away, immediately. You're the first to do so. And I'm going to talk faster, and I just want to make sure that you understand that, that when it says act like a man, it's talking about laying down your rights, laying down your entitlements, and picking up the responsibility of being a leader in your home and doing not the fun stuff. I know more men that do jobs they don't like because it's part of being a provider for their home. There's some men who will avoid doing that. And let me tell you, if you're in this room or you're watching online, I, I, if I could reach you with my foot, I would. And just say, you know what? Girls think jobs are attractive. I don't care if it's minimum wage. Don't, be, don't settle there for the rest of your life. But if, if you're sitting at home waiting for a $40 an hour job and, and, and you're letting the, the $10 an hour one go by, that's foolishness. So just making sure you understand. I, I don't care. Do something. Do something. Pick up that responsibility. This is be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Being strong isn't always easy. Sometimes it's a fight. You know, you try to cultivate something and sometimes it's going to be a battle. Ask Adam. He had to cultivate the land and the land warred against him. Sometimes what you're going to cultivate is going to war against you. Be strong. Sometimes your children will think that you are you know, you are the destroyer of their joy when truly you're the keeper of their joy. The reason why I'm not allowing you to do this is because I want, you know, I see a bigger picture and I want you to be happy. I'm fighting for your joy. Be strong. Don't be wore down, but be strong. Stand firm. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And then it says in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. So what does that look like? Let all that you be done, done in love. Biblical masculinity, well, the answer to that one is pretty, pretty simple. When you're cultivating your home, building your home, being, demonstrating biblical masculinity for everyone to see, Turn to Ephesians. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. You can write it down. Ephesians 5.25. It says here, you're like, what does that look like? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you sat there and digested that one for a bit, what does the love like when it says do, do everything in love? You have to understand that Jesus died for the church 
not in response to what the church did, but because he loved the church. And in the same way, man, we don't love our wives in response to what they do for us, but because we're initiators. We just do. You know, you could be laying in bed, you know, at night. I guarantee if you're married, this has happened to you, where something was said, something was done right before bedtime. And you're laying there and your backs are pointing towards each other. And gentlemen, you, she could be 99.9% wrong. She could be 99.9% wrong. It is your job to turn over and not do it this way. You know, honey, I want to apologize for the 0.1% of, the, of my responsibility of that argument we just had. And I really want you to know I'm sorry. and I want to make it right. Do you have anything to say to me? You know, no? Well, I'm going to take it back. That's not how we do it. But instead to turn over and say, you know what? I don't like the way we left those things. I am sorry that, that you know, I, I contributed to this. And I want to make it right. Let's make this right. Why do we do that? Because it's not an issue of 50 plus 1%. It's an issue of, you know, you, it's an issue of you're an initiator, man. You take the initiative. You make it right in your home. And what does it look like with kids? Well, Ephesians 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me just say this. that Someday your child's going to think, like I described, that you're the enemy of their joy. Don't let your insecurities drive them to anger. Seriously. And this is where I have to be strong. You know, there's no, there's no way to get a guy ticked off quicker than, than thinking that you've disrespected him. Really. You know, ladies, if you really want to see your man jump and hop and do what you want, I'll give you a little key. Praise him and the things that he does. I love when you do that. Well, bang, he'll do it again. He will, seriously. If you, if you want your husband to clean the dishes, wash when he, he takes that one dish and goes, Phew! and does what you want with it, then act as if that's the biggest thing. Oh, man, that, that just makes me happy. I love you. When I see you do that, well, it's like, oh, that's easy. And I'll do boom. I'm just letting you know. It's because it's, guys want to be loved, needed, and respected. So when our kids or the land we're tilling, you know, fights against us, we take it as a shot. And what do we do? We can, we, we can fight back and, and, and with our kids. And I, I have at times crossed the point where, that, where this verse, and I bet you I'm not the only one. I'm just being honest. I'm the one with the mic telling you. I've probably crossed that point where I've provoked my kids to anger. Where in my insecurities, I said something, did something, handled it inappropriately. And as a man, it's my job not to do that, but if I do it, to make it right. That's biblical masculinity. Now, now you might be asking, why, why are we talking about bringing it back to the church? Well, I, I'm just going to tell you this, that the church needs it because really uh, what you'll discover across the board is the men are gone. 
really, you go to most churches. My, my dad, my parents came from a church of 800. Do you want to know how many single guys? You'll be surprised to be shocked. A church of 800, between the age of was about 20 to 35. Guess how many in a church of 800? Just take a wild guess. But boom, five. Five. Now, there's probably guys who come and go and you see them for periods of time, but I mean five faithful guys. Just letting you know. And that's across the board from church to church, it's predominantly women. And a lot of the men who are there, and thank God that's not what it's like here, at least I don't believe it is, are there just because their wives drug them, kicking and screaming. Because the only image they get of God, and because I can remember, and I, you heard me say this, I can remember growing up that the pictures that I saw of Jesus in the church were of, of a guy who would look more comfortable on the beaches of California, surfing, than he would in the Middle East. He, you know, blonde hair, he's got his highlights in his hair, and, you know, gosh, he looks like a total dude. And, and, and it just, and it doesn't equate to masculinity in their definition. And, and, and guys are just leaving in droves, and what the church needs are real men. It needs that dose of masculinity because what males need is male, young men need strong men. They do. And so if we've been talking about discipleship and reaching the lost, then the men need strong men. So that means you guys who are sitting and warming the pews this very second, your backsides are grooving the seats out. That it's you who they are going to look to. And if they walk in here and they don't see strong men influencing the church, strong men influencing the community, strong men influencing their homes, gardening, tending, growing, cultivating, all of those spheres of their life, then they're just going to up and go because they won't be submitted to God. And they're gonna, if they're going to cultivate something, they're going to cultivate what they want, and it won't be right and it won't be good because when you're submitted to God, that's when you're cultivating what you need to cultivate. And so the reason why I said we need biblical masculinity back in the church is because the men desperately need it. We don't need more males. Males are easy. We need more men. You just have the right genes and you're a male. But it takes something entirely different to be a man. Ladies, you don't want a male. You want a man. Like I said, when, when you look at a fool and you see potential, that's just scary. Because there's a lot of women who get married thinking that it'll cure their loneliness and they just become increasingly more lonely. Because they got themselves a fool. So, gentlemen, I'm calling you up today and I wasn't picking on you. I'm actually, this is one of those red meat for the soul kind of messages. Guys, sometimes we need a little red meat and we need red meat for the soul, and that's what this is, red meat for the soul. Guys, I want to challenge you to go home, and if there's areas that you've fallen short in, we all have, and there's areas that I have to repent in and change. I guarantee it. My wife's not here today, but she might be watching, and then she might ask me what those are. But there's areas that I need to change in, and we need to bring biblical masculinity back to our home, where we stand firm in the faith, we're watching, we're strong, and we're doing everything out of a viewpoint of love. And that we're doing it in the home, and we export it from the home, and we bring it to the church. Because if we do it 
if the men rise up and become men, everybody's better for it. And ladies, hear me this way. I don't want you in the car ride home re-preaching this. You will, no, and it's funny, but you do that. And let me just tell you this, you will kill it. You will kill it. Did you hear what Jason said? He said you got to do this, this, and this, and this. I'm so... Don't re-preach it to him. Seriously. And in all honesty, don't re-preach it to him. You'll kill it. Let him initiate. Let him lead. And if nothing's happening, come talk to pastor. Pastor has a bigger foot than I do, and it can probably reach up further inside. And and I'm just being honest. So we're going to pray really quickly, and then I'm going to release you guys. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. And, Father, I want to thank you for the men of Life Church. Father, we are blessed for having them. Father, we are stronger for having them. The same can be said for the women, but today I'm talking about the men, Father. And I just pray over the men that they would all rise up. And, Father, take on uh, biblical masculinity, not defined by culture, but that defined by your word. And it's so much simpler than what we wear, what we look, and how we act, and what our favorite pastime is. Instead, Father God, it's all about being watchful, standing firm in the faith, being strong, being diligent, and doing everything out of love. Father, being the cultivators you created us to be, because we're going to grow and cultivate something, Father, but in our submission to you, we want to cultivate our homes and in turn export that everywhere else, Father God. I thank you, Father, that these men, I believe, are going to take this word, go home with it, let it take root and produce fruit in their lives, and they will eat the fruit of that, of this seed, Father, and they will like the taste of it. And they will be better for it, their home will be better for it, and the church will be better for it. Because, Father, men need stronger men. Young men need stronger men. And we want to do that. If we're to reach Woodstock and the surrounding community, we need, as men, need to be stronger men. We thank you, Father, for that, and by your grace, we shall accomplish it. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.